Yeah, when you when you're in a situation where winning is seen like the most important thing, your your kids don't get developed. Uh, at Meridian, it drove me bananas that our kids would come to us as freshmen and would have so little knowledge of just terminology. First week of practice, everybody get a basketball, get in triple threat position. Had two kids go stand behind a free throw, behind the three point line. Yeah. They thought that was triple threat position. <laughs> they didn't know where the elbow was. <laughs> they didn't know where the wing was. Yeah. You know, dive to the basket. They had no clue what that meant. You know, don't don't dive on the floor. Just little things like that because coach was so hung up on his record yep. that yep. never took the time to teach the game. Yeah. Yep. And you know that I think it, it's I mean, our kids are suffering there a lot too. Where when you're not taught the game, it, it shows up in high school. When you're not taught oh, it yeah. early, it shows up so much at high school. In high school, and you get exposed. You know, you you find I, I kind of laugh at these coaches who brag. Well, from fifth grade through eighth grade, we lost four games and we went to state and this and that. But in high school, they never go five hundred. Yep. <laughs> so you're living off of a great sixth grade season. Yep. And these kids get blasted every year you know so it, it's, it's such a fine line. yeah it's such a you fine know, line man. so many that i think and timmy we for polk county you you know you, you got frustrated about it and it's a fine line that the ones who know basketball like like both of you you understand it's player development the ones who don't it's about their record and this and that but not not looking at these kids weren't very good high school players, so that's not on the high school coach. That kind of falls on you, dude. Yeah, you know, it kind uh, of falls back. It's funny you sent me that. Um, you sent me that message uh, when this last what was it? I, I get I'm lost now with the pandemic. I feel like I, I missed a year. Maybe it was last year or two <laughs> years ago. But you sent me a message, kind of like a you know, Polk County had a, a one of their best varsity seasons in a long time and they were my kids that I had in junior high and you kind of sent me a like a you know give me some, yeah. like a congratulations yeah. message I had a couple of people that sent me those and that felt good like I, I like I can't lie that felt like validation because that was a decent group that we lost some games that we shouldn't have lost but um some of the kids that contributed were kids that weren't playing for me but that we took time in practice to try to develop them because um and I would tell the 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 high school coaches all the time like I'm telling you, like, some of these kids, they they can learn how to play. It's just going to take some time. It's not going to translate onto the junior high court. I'm telling you, it's not. We could have won more games that year. Um, but I did. I took a lot of pride in, in hopefully developing them. Like I told him, I was like, you'll, you'll never have. It's funny you mentioned, like, the baseline and the, the triple threat and things like that. I was like, I promise you, as long as I'm here, you'll never have a kid come to the to the high school and you'd be like, go to the elbow or get in triple threat position or go to the baseline or go to the short corner. You will never have a kid that's played for me come to you and not know what those things are. Because right. if you're a freshman, if you're teaching freshmen that, you are so far behind. Like you're missing out that on is so, so many things. Gosh, it is so important. I took a lot of pride in that. And I, and I got to say too, like you and uh, there was a couple other people that sent me a message and one of the players too uh, sent me a message on Facebook. A, a similar message um so that yeah that was that was pretty cool that was kind of some like validation of like yeah so that hard work actually did did go to mm-hmm. something 
Um, and I wasn't even in Pope County at the time. I'd already moved back uh, teaching in Marion, but that was pretty cool to see them, especially some of those kids that didn't even really play for me that I know just I saw them in practice and I saw them getting better in practice. And I would tell the varsity coach, like, this one's going to be, he's going to be an all right player. Like he's going to contribute for you when he gets uh, up to, you know, his junior, senior year. I'm telling you, he's going to contribute for you. So to see some of those kids do that was super cool. And then I had um, one of the kids, actually his, his mom used to message me all the time and be like, thank you so much for like taking an interest in him and like, uh, like showing him like, or, you know, like taking the time out of your, you know, he wasn't that good at the time. Thank you so much for that. Cause he's, he loves basketball now. He's so into it and he talks about you all the time because of it. So as a junior high coach, I think, you know, obviously we all want to win. Like I, I, it drives me, I hate losing. I hate losing. Every time we lose, <laughs> it drives me absolutely insane. Um, but as a junior high coach, there's, there's definitely, um, it's it's a broad you have to have a broader scope so um and they, they yeah, you're, you're, you, you don't see it right away you got to wait a couple of years to see it kind of happen um but you got to have a broad scope because then too you have to look and see I mean, you got you got to kind of predict the future and you have to see you guys saw it at marion there were guys who probably contributed on your teams that weren't big players in junior high but because yeah, guys didn't me. play, Brandon Woods. That's me. <laughs> Aaron a day away. Yes. You know that that's they step up and they play. So you got you got to kind of look down the road. Um, Ricky Tabern that helped us with AAU. Yep. He was the last player they kept as a fifth grader. They kept him because he was a good kid, and he ended up being one of the best players, probably one of the top 10 players in Carrymo's high school history. Hmm. And he's the last guy they kept as a fifth grader. So, you, I mean, you, you have to kind of look down the road in a lot of yeah. cases and see, you know, a lot of it is how much does a kid love the game? How, how much are they receptive to, you know, teaching? Yeah. How much are they willing to work on their own? Those are guys that you kind of, those are, number one, those are, to me, those are program guys. Those are guys that are good to have in your program. But number two, those are the guys that you can rely on that Hey, when this the stud seventh grader who's a dud sophomore yep. and is no longer playing, now you got this kid who's been with you the entire time. He listens, he's there every day. Those are the kids that can be impact players for you at some point. Okay. So you know, it, it's a hard it's a hard mix when the pressure's on you to win. And I I, I just I, I I'd rather from from the varsity standpoint, I'd rather get kids coming in that know how to play and understand the game and they won because they're bigger more mature yep. a year or two older you know yep. uh, had a group at Meridian that was real successful as 8th graders but they were as old as my JV team some of them were older than <laughs> my then they come in they don't grow they you know most of them didn't get any better so yeah you lost two games in junior high but you didn't do anything in high school because you you never were taught anything. You got by on being more mature, older. You know, when you're old enough to drive to a junior high game, you should be beating people. <laughs> you're old enough to drive, you should be winning the majority of your game. So that's 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 a false sense of of how good you are because right, once right. you start getting against that are older or you know your own age. Then, then you start getting exposed, and, and now kids and it, class. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just bad. It's it's bad all the way around. But and, and junior high coaches, the ones 
like, you know, Timmy and, you know, you guys, you guys have a great staff that you get caught up in, you know, I won't say necessarily Marion because I'm not for sure how it is, but, you know, you got good coaches who understand basketball and know what's really important, but the parents who really don't know think it's all about winning. Yeah. Nobody remembers eighth grade teams. Yep. Nobody remembers seventh grade. Well, I won't say nobody. And, and over here, this far, yeah, a good seventh grade and a good eighth grade team, they're more legendary than the high school teams are. <laughs> but nobody, you know, if you know basketball, that doesn't matter because what did you do when you got in high school? Yep. You know, so that's how it is but, up here. That's how it is. You guys. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, we have, I think about the, the team out of the South Suburbs. So, an I, they're in the IESA. So, they have state in seventh and eighth grade. Their yeah. seventh grade team went undefeated. Matter of fact, they beat Kankakee um, seventh grade year. Then they went undefeated eighth grade year again. And it was, hey, now they pick a high school and they just become, you know, just a feeder now because you're looking at like the South Suburb schools. So the Harvey Thorntons and the Bloom Townships, Marion Catholics, Homewood Flossmoors, and I'm missing a whole bunch of schools. I hope they don't get mad at me, but <laughs> I mean, it's it's nothing, you know. Like I made, I saw kids that were almost dunking. They, I may forget them when they're junior, and this, but yeah. and they will still be a college kid. They'll still be a college basketball player somewhere, you know. They'll still be an all right kid, but it's just you got it in the south suburbs. You you got to make some noise. That's at a way different level than it is down there. Yeah. Well, it's a bigger area, too. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you guys started, gosh, you guys weren't 18, 19 years old when you started coaching. Yeah. So. Came up from school and coached the next day. (laughs) What was that that transition like? What do you go ahead and go first? Seem I don't it felt seamless. It felt like like it was I just knew what to do. You know, honestly from watching you coach and just knowing how to be around the players and I ran what you had us run and almost verbatim used the words that you used. To where this day I still coach similar to the people that influenced me as a coach. But it was fun, it felt natural. Um it kept me around the game and it allowed me to give back. Um my passion and another young group of kids to do the same thing that I did so it was natural for me yeah I'm for, for me like I think probably most of us get into coaching right because at some point our playing days expire whether it be that's exactly high, right high school college <laughs> professionally like at some point our playing days expire and we want to stay around the game and right. I think it's for some people it sticks and for some people it doesn't and I'm like I'm just like Woody for me it was a a very, it was literally my first year of college. I, I asked to come back and coach AAU with, with the Falcons, Griff. Um, and it was it was natural for me, too. And I think I had a leg up, I think, in coaching because I had, um, like I told you, I, I mean, I grew, I grew to be 5'10". I it didn't end up being super fast or super tall. So in order for me to compete in the South 7, you know, with a bunch of good players, I had to be smarter. I've all, mm-hmm. always been thinking like like a coach, you know, how do I how do I get the best out of my own ability that I have? You know, I'm, I'm limited in my ability. How do I get the most out of it? And I feel like as a coach, that's what I'm constantly doing. Like, how do we get the most out of all these, uh, out of every single one of these kids, regardless of their ability? And I've always had to think through the game and I've always liked to think through the game. So for me too, seamless transition. And then 
I mean, I, I, as I started doing it, I just, I enjoy it whether, and not even in terms of basketball. I mean, I love basketball, but just being around kids, uh, thinking about the people who I looked up to growing up, you know, you or, uh, coach Krause or any of my other kid, any of the people I knew that when I was around that age, just how I felt about them to know that I can have that impact on, on kids too, um, is important to me. And I like being around them and I like, uh, helping them with basketball and with anything. So it's uh, just, yeah, supernatural for me too. I don't think you guys realized either. Maybe you did. I kind of just kicked you out the nest and saw if you were going to fly. Because you guys remember me sitting on the bench with you really. during games? I didn't, I didn't offer much. I sat there and I let you guys <laughs> take the reins of it. Yep. I, yeah. I, let you guys, I let you guys coach. I might say something, you know, to a player that you know the time I only had two timeouts a half I might say something to one of the kids you know see something point out but I let you guys coach because I wanted you guys I you know I, and you guys started off great and you had that that knack um you know Timmy you talked about you know having to think the game Woody you did the same thing just from mm-hmm. playing with the playing with the dream team that summer like you you had to figure out what was the best way to fit in with those guys and I think that really helped you when you when you stepped in and started coaching. But you know, I did the same thing at Meridian. I, I let my JV coach coach. I didn't I didn't step in. I didn't try to overstep his what he said. You know, if he asked me for advice, I would you know give advice or I think maybe. But I let you guys you know 19 years old. I'm letting you guys take it. Hey, yep. here this is your team. You coach them. Don't 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 always you know depend on me for. Don't always look to me for that play down the stretch or that call. You guys do it. Figure it out. You know, figure it out on your own. And I don't know why I actually did that because I guess I basically learned how to coach on my own. But I just thought, I want these guys, if we're going to do this together, I want these guys to be, to think like head coaches all the time. So if you're sitting with me, I want you to be yes men. I want you to say, hey, coach, let's do this. Let's do this. You guys did great. I, I love coaching with you guys. If I could, if I, could put together a staff with you two guys and a couple of my guys from Meridian and Ricky. We'd look like an NBA staff because we'd have like eight people on the bench. But <laughs> I would love it because it'd be all people who thought basketball the same way and understand right. that there's a right way to play. Yeah, um, I think that's the biggest thing. But, the, the, the biggest thing that I got from you, Griff, is is two things. Two things. One, coaching AAU, it was never about like drawing up plays. It was always about playing the game the right way um, right. because you know we, we weren't drawing up play we weren't running like elaborate offenses we were spreading the court and cutting and learning how to actually play the game and then the other the other probably the biggest thing I got from you Griff because I heard you say it as a player and as a coach at every practice at every tournament like I heard it all the time like we I want to win games I want you guys to be the best players you can be I want you to get scholarships I want you to do all those things but at the end of the day, what I really want you to be is I want you to be good sons and I want you to be yep, good always. boyfriends. I want you to be always. good fathers. I want you to be Brothers. good community members and students. And um, that's really what from what I took uh, from you because I heard you say it so much and I believe that so much. And now having coached for long enough to see kids start to grow up and mm-hmm. do things on their own, you kind of look back on that and you're like, Man, if I had like a small role in that, and maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but I know my coaches did growing up, uh, that's meaningful to me. So those are that's that's coaching with you. Those are the two biggest takeaways I got. Like one, 
basketball is not that complicated. Let's learn to play it the right way. And two, it's bigger than basketball. So, um, yeah, those are my two biggest things that I got from you. I thought you were going to say something about working at Foot Locker. Hey, no, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. While you're on the subject, while you're on the subject, let's just go ahead and get this story out of the way, okay? So we, we went to the, um, I, for, I forget where we went, maybe Evansville, and uh, you were coaching a boys' team and a girls' team, and I was coaching one of the boys' teams. And I'll never forget, Aisha Clark got thrown into a wall no call and uh i mean she's going up for a layup and she just (laughs) someone just runs through her back and i mean she she ran straight into the wall and i'm sitting on the bench with griff and he picks up the chair like he's going to toss it out on the court like bobby knight so (laughs) so my first assistant coaching moment was like you know that like slam the chair back down like no you don't get to throw it you know and uh so a few minutes pass he doesn't really say anything to the ref at the time maybe yells a couple things minute passes whatever ends up they end up at the free throw line one of the teams does and the refs kind of stand at half court and griff just kind of puts his puts his arm around the around the ref and says hey which one of those girls out there is yours and the ref kind of looked at him, <laughs> the ref kind of looked at him like what and he's like uh i just figured the way you're calling the game that one of the girls on the other team has to be yours and i and i told you afterward how funny i thought that was and you're like and i've used this one now since and you're like, uh, that's a good one too. Uh, that's a good one. But also, when you're coaching school ball, just give them this one. Just put your arm around them and be like, hey, what year did you graduate Harrisburg? And they're gonna be like, what? And I've used that before, you know, because the tone is perfect. like, you're not gonna get the technical because oh, it's too man. Calm, it's too polite, that's... but it sends the message. It does. It's... Oh man, I don't realize how much of a, how far from the tree I didn't fall as far as your coaching tree. Sitting out there doing the same thing, but that's but in 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 because I guess since we're talking AU stories, and but this is just your vibe though. The St. Louis game, the championship game, it's funny because Timmy, you were here. I don't, I've never talked to you about this story, but the championship game, coach, and we were down like what double digits the whole game. We had already beat that team, they were we were getting cheated the whole game. And I was in you, the kid that was guarding me. I know you know this story. We, Tim, we come to the huddle with like 20 seconds left. I think we were up or down. I think we were up one before they ended up beating us. And you're going to draw something up. And I come over to the huddle and I'm like, coach, I just figured it out. And everyone looks at me like, what, what? I said, the guy that's guarding me is wearing makeup. Yeah. He had eyeliner on his face and he had yeah. foundation. <laughs> and it took the entire game for me to figure it out but that was the the culture you had that in that moment you could tell us that we could we could bust into a lab and then get right back into what we needed to do for that and, I coached um, and, 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 what'd you say I coached my personality and I encouraged you guys yes. you have to be you because kids will see through if you're phony Yes. So just be and, 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 and I, Griff, you called a. Uh, you you told me a story of doing this, and then I watched you do it. Um, big situation down the stretch, right? AAU game. You call timeout. Everybody comes over there. I think I saw you do this in a girls' game as well. I know what you're going to say too, because I've done it too. <laughs> I, I, Co- Coach Griff says. I really don't have anything to say to you. I just see all the coaches do it on TV, so yes. I thought I'd be cool. <laughs> that was my first girls' oh, game doing at Harrisburg with, with Lexi. We were down. We were up two. And, oh, 
I remember this story. We, 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 we were lucky to be up. And they had the ball at their end at the hash mark. And they call a timeout. And I said, okay, here's what I could look at the girls. They're, they're terrified. I was like, I got to say something to relax. So I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll go out. We're going to match up. I said, as soon as before the referee gets ready to give them the ball, scream timeout. Go to the nearest referee. <laughs> so I got five girls running at referees screaming timeout. So they, one of the referees jumped. So they come to the bench and they're laughing. And I was like, I, I got to see what play they're going to run and then we'll be ready to defend it. So they come over and I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're about to do. I don't got <laughs> That's it. They always say that on TV. So I just wanted to do it one time. And they're like, Are you serious? And Lexi was like, Yeah, he's serious. And I was like, Don't give a <laughs> Let's win this ball game. They go out, the other team throws the ball away, and we win. And they were like, We can't believe you did that. I'm like, Why? It's a simple game. You just yeah. don't let them score and you win. Yeah, <laughs> and have fun doing it. Yeah, they, you know, just sometimes you gotta you gotta be relaxed in those situations because so, y'all too uptight, then you're gonna make mistakes. But that that was the thing I saw with you guys that you guys were confident in your in what you were doing early on, and you mm-hmm. guys and you you guys went back and forth with the same team, but like you guys had some talent, yeah. and those guys all ended up being solid varsity basketball players, and that by that time. The focus has shifted with the Falcons from we're trying to get guys into college to we got guys who just want to be able to play for their high school team. Yep. And right. we we shifted our focus to that. And those guys all were contributors. Uh, you, we take a guy like Kyle Reinwald, who yep. should probably have never been a varsity basketball player, was a post player when he first got with us. Woody, you had him starting off. Yeah. Post player. Oh, yeah. Yep. Champion, we get him as a junior and senior. He's knocking down threes from everywhere. Yeah, you couldn't beat him somehow or another. You couldn't beat him off the dribble. He just outworked everybody, and he started every game. He started every game his senior year. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you guys know he's the freshman coach at Massac. Yeah, now last year year, he won the Benton tournament. You know, and I was so proud of him. I just think this is you know we can't take the credit for it because Kyle worked but that was a kid that he just wanted to play varsity basketball and you guys put so much work with those guys and the confidence and they they were close and you guys were close enough in age with them that they looked at you guys as more like peers than as coaches and that that connection I think really had a lot to do with those guys development I mean we did have Bahari who went on and played college ball we had Eli just a, an amazing talent and we we're talking you know we we're talking earlier about kids who like um who you don't think a lot of and they end up playing Gilwan nelson yep timmy yep remember we saw him and we were like man if he gets to be about six three he's gonna be a nice ball player well yep. add another four inches of that and he ended up making some money playing basketball but that was just one of them kids that he listened he played hard and he had a knack and we just thought man if he gets a chance he could do something so yeah. that you know it, it's it's not always the kid who has the most talent at that time who's going to you know who's going to end up being the best player nobody would have ever thought when he was a high school player that he would have played professional basketball overseas right yep. what, what do you guys think has been the hardest part about you know as, as being young the hardest part about being coaches other than the, other than the losing, of course, because I know how competitive you guys are. What's the hardest part about it? 
Uh, I think for me early on, like at Pope County, you know, I was, I was fresh out of, uh, for, for AAU, um, it, it, nothing really phased me a whole lot. Maybe because Griff, you were always kind of, I always felt like you were like, kind of like standing behind me in a way. Um, but you know, when I was at Pope County, like it was, it was me. And as a young, as a young coach, I mean, I'm fresh out of college. So I'm like, what, 22 years old, whatever, coaching uh, junior high basketball. And I, I felt like um, like communication with parents, because parents were significantly older than me. Um, you know, I felt like communication with parents was uh, daunting. I never let it get the best of me. Uh, but I always felt like it was kind of a daunting task to be talking to these people that were, um, you know, I'm closer to their kids' age than I am to their age. Yeah. Um, and they would come yeah. up to me and, and it, you know, they talked to me about, you know, they'd become, you know, their parents. Um, so they complain about this or that. Um, so I thought that was the hardest part uh, at the beginning. Nowadays, uh, after about my, you know, first couple weeks when it was like, okay, this is going to happen. Uh, it doesn't phase me anymore, but I think being young, being young is hard. Like you get stereotyped. Um, the other thing that happens, Griff, you were you came to this game. It was our my fifth game, my fifth game coaching. I only know it was our fifth game because uh, going into it, we were four zero. I was feeling pretty good. I was four zero as a, a eighth grade basketball coach all time, and um, we ran a press. And like I said, I was 22 years old. I'm still like this. I'm still super energetic. Um, like I'm all over the sidelines. Like I'm screaming, yelling, like at our team, you know what I mean? Like barking out directions. Yeah. So we're running the press yeah. and um, I was just yelling at our team, not yelling at them. I was, you know, encouraging them and clapping and you know, whatever. And uh, the ref stops the game and comes over and he's like, one more and that's a technical. And I'm like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like I'm clapping for my own team. And he's like, yeah. no, I've heard about you, the young guy who's always going crazy. I'm like, I haven't said a word to you. Uh, like, all, I haven't said anything to you. You know what I mean? He's like, no, you're already getting yourself a reputation. I'm like, for what? Liking coaching? For liking coaching my kids? Yeah, and, being uh, passionate. Yeah, so, um, and I'll never forget, um, I think about two weeks later, he came and coached a game at Pope County, and he apologized. He was like, I think I, I may have jumped the gun on you. Um, I was like, wait, did. But I feel like as the, 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 ref, the ref and the coach dynamic took a while to develop too, as I, as I finally oh, got yeah. to know the refs. But at first it was like, you know, and, and I, I probably didn't look 22. I probably looked 17 years old. Like 16, I, I, mean, I looked yeah. young. So I think that looking <laughs> yeah. like that, it's, it's hard to get, um, like people just look at you and kind of naturally assume things about you. So uh, developing that relationship, but now you know you know all the refs, and they res- you have a mutual respect for them. So, but at the beginning, I think that was really hard being young, and especially looking young, uh, was like the parent relationship and then the ref relationship. Woody, what about you? What's, what yeah. do you think? You know, because you're you you uh, deal, probably deal with parents on a different level than than you will. You do deal with yeah. parents on a different level than Timmy is because to them the stakes are a little bit higher. Oh yeah, definitely. No matter what, no matter what level it was at. I remember whenever I first started, and this kind of goes back to what you guys were saying earlier about the winning and the player development. What at all of basketball, we had all our coaches start at the third grade level. If they were a new coach, you started at the bottom. It don't matter how much you thought you knew the game, you started there because it wasn't going to be about winning. It was just about getting the kids better. Um, but for the most part in AAU, I would say it's still that that referee coach dynamic because as bad as high school and junior high school ball refereeing is, AAU basketball is about 
can we say a million times worse? <laughs> yeah, beer money. Being honest, <laughs> beer money. If we're being, if we're being, that's what you exactly, exactly. And at first, I was like you, Tim. You know, I was energetic. I was yelling at my team, and and but I was, hey, my team will tell you I was crazy. I was reckless. You know, I would <laughs> lose my voice before the end of a tournament every weekend. So that was the hardest part for me was turning that energy into being able to know when to use it, you know, not be able to use all of it at the end of the first day of a tournament. We got to go the whole other day and I still got to yeah. coach. Uh, and that's, and it was just curtailing my passion. Um, I never, I always liked, you know, I've always been a people person. So the parent dynamic, I always enjoyed, but like you said, dealing with them, we're talking about a completely different conversation. It's not about getting playing time on the high school team. It's about a future in basketball. And so that, so that I would say that in my, in the program director, uh, coach Johnson handled a lot of that as well too, but I did a lot of the recruiting. So we're still having that conversation. So I would say that was definitely going to be the hardest part would be it's, it's a little bit more of a, um, a serious basketball conversation. Yeah. You know, there's still the love for the game there, but it's, it turns into coach. I think you should tell us all the time. It's a love hate relationship with the game of basketball. And it's embracing that and understanding that is what got hard being on the AAU side, I would say. Yeah. I think, too, uh, just coming straight straight out of college or straight out of high school, starting to coach mm-hmm. AAU, like, I, the, it's one of the best things I ever did was decide to go, like, try to coach Falcons right away. Yeah. Because we were dealing with, at the time, you know, they were, like, going to be freshmen. Um, so we're, you know, yeah. you're, you're a freshman in college. I mean, the age difference is four years. So immediately, I think um, it put me in the mindset of like, I don't look a lot older than these guys. I'm not a lot older than these guys. Uh, you know, I, I just graduated high school. They're entering high school. Like we're very close in age. Um, so I never struggled with like being close in age because of that, I think, because I knew right away, like right. I have to be the authority figure here. Like, um, but at the same time, we got to watch Griff do such a good job at uh, balancing player coach relationships in such a way that like mm-hmm. um you know i can i can watch griff scream at somebody on the sideline and then after the game put his arm around him and make a joke with him um you know where exactly. you know not not necessarily when it's player coach friends but at the same time you always know that that what griff's doing is coming from a place of love so you get to watch that as a right. as a player and a coach and when you know people are coming from a place of love and you got that rapport um that's you know we, I got to watch Griff's like the master of that like I said like he can get on to you yell at you but you never take it personally because you know where it's coming from um, so right. and, and getting to watch that as a young coach coaching kids that were right around my age really um, getting to like implement that right away I never struggled with like the uh, being close in age with my players I always uh, because of that that um the dynamic right away I was able to kind of I knew I had to combat it so I did and it never became a problem but it was something that I worried about before I started coaching that just kind of naturally um I was kind of thrown into the fire so I had to combat it right away so that was never an issue yeah you guys did a great job with those guys and I think at that age because you guys both started with them with the groups when they were eighth graders at that age it's, it's harder to get the respect because you know you guys are uh, we were all eighth graders at one point you think you know everything yep 
a little bit different than being a freshman because you think you know everything. So you guys got their respect at an early point that made it. Um, well, Woody, I remember you had that group and we went to Oakville for that tournament and you coached them by yourself. I remember uh, Mike, big Mike, you know, very encouraged me with same thing with you, Timmy, he encouraged me to sit on the bench and like mentor you guys and everything. I kept score. Yeah, I sat up and I kept score. Uh, the the tournament that we had with the shootout, I, I was at the scores table. I I wasn't on the bench with you. Yeah. you know I you know these guys know what they're doing. Let them let them learn trial by error, you know a trial and error and figure it out. But you guys, the biggest thing was you got their respect so soon that they were willing to play hard for you. And that and the, I right. think that's the kids aren't going to play hard if they don't respect the coach. I've seen it a million right. times. If they have no respect for the coach. They're not going to play. They'll play hard when it's convenient for them, mm-hmm. not all the time. And those guys, they played. They played so hard for you guys because they're out of respect, and they wanted your approval yeah. because you guys could play, and they wanted your they wanted your approval, yeah. and that it made it a lot easier on me being around them because you guys were that that go between where I could be. You guys are big brother and I could be daddy. Yep. And it made it a little bit easier yeah, when, I, when I would have to step in and coach them because the 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 foundation had already been set. There, you know, that respect was there. The culture. The culture had already been established. So it was just and the message was the same. It was just coming from a different person. Yeah. But I, I knew exactly. guys if you, you know, chose to to stick with it that you were gonna be successful. The knowledge, the passion. And and you understood how important the little things were about basketball because we, you know, Timmy, we said it. We we never ran a bunch of plays. I don't remember drawing up a whole lot of stuff ever. Well, when we made that, um, where were we at Chicago, we went to um, was it um, Oswego or wherever for that tournament? Yeah, yeah. And we played really, really well, and ended up getting, just ran out of gas. We just let them play basketball. Yep. We just tried to find mismatches. And we just played and, you know, things clicked. We didn't have to draw up stuff. You know, everybody else is coming down, running plays and switching defenses. And we're just, hey, you you, you got to stop what we're doing. And if you stop that, then we'll we'll f- switch our focus to someplace else. We just made it easy and stressed. Learn how to play basketball. You can't run. You can't run a play if you don't know how to play basketball. Yeah. And, That's to me. That. I think AAU taught me that more than anything was like, you know, you always talked about like AAU is the perfect like learn how to coach situation because it was like you got you got two timeouts like you can't just be calling timeouts and like come settling everybody like you got to learn to actually coach you got to go into the game with a plan prepared because it's not like you're gonna get to call them over all the time and and talk to them. Um, but yeah, I mean like that's what I learned doing AAU was like this is really a simple game and not only that you start to get to coaching you put in all these sets and it's like you go back and think about it and it's like oh we scored on really off the the action that we're running we scored on that like five percent of the time and normally it's because someone found an opening and got into a seam or whatever and got themselves a layup or uh deflected a pass the right way and got themselves a run out like it's not very often that we're like every now and then you know you get one of your quick hitters that works um but generally like if you know how to play basketball we don't need to run a bunch we don't need to call a set every time down we can just we just go play ball so um, that was one of the big things I learned from AAU is like, we don't need to we don't need to put in a million sets and a million plays. We need to learn how to play basketball, and that's going to be generally that's going to be good enough to score points. Well, Woody knows with the dream team, we never call plays. Yep, 
we didn't have any plays. It was just hey, the only play we had was make stop make. Yeah, yeah, make stop make. <laughs> and that wasn't a that play. That was a concept. Yeah. But that was all. That was the only thing we ever did. We just played basketball. And I, and, and you guys, I'm glad you guys learned that early. Gosh, it took me years to figure that out. That it's you. You don't have to impress people with your knowledge of states and numbers and colors and nicknames. <laughs> Do one thing. Do one or two things and be really good at it. Then you know, calling out every team in the Big Ten that 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 looks impressive from the bleachers, but really, what are your kids picking up from it? You know, they're robots, and if you disrupt a play, they don't know they don't know what to do. Then, yeah, you know, it's funny. We got uh, we got film for the junior high program this year, so um, we get to, I get to go back and watch the games. It's the first time I've ever got to do that. And, um, you know, during the course of the game, you call out like, you know, we do basically our offense was uh, a spread the court pass and cut kind of offense that we did in AAU. Um, and the kids, the kids were good enough to run it. Um, so we, we ran basically that and I never really called a play. We just, we called it four, it was four out and they just, they played ball and it pretty much worked. Uh, but every now and then, you know, we call a play and going back and looking at it on film, it was like, we call this play, you know, and it ends up at like a, a pick and roll or whatever. And the way we scored, yeah, we ran the pick and roll. But the way we scored was the guy comes off a of pick and roll, uh, does a crossover, draws the defender, and like tosses it, you know, to the guy, to the defender that he drew. So I'm like, it's not so much the play we drew up; it's that concept of like when I beat my man and draw the big guy, I dump it off to the to the open guy underneath the basket. It wasn't had nothing to do with the play hardly. It had everything to do with the guy making a play and then knowing what to do with the ball. So it. I mean, I didn't even need to call that play. If the guy breaks down his defender, that's exactly what's going to happen. So, and I see that a lot on film where I call a play and in the middle of the game, I'm like, oh yeah, that play worked. But the play didn't work. The, the kid made a correct basketball play, beat his man off the dribble, dumped the ball off to the guy, the defender that he draw, you know, his guy. So um, the, I, watching film, it just reinforced like, we just got to learn how to play basketball. We find a mismatch, beat our man off the dribble, draw a defender, throw it to the open guy, and then it's a miss or make game. Uh, miss or make game. So, um, yeah, yeah Adjustment, adjustments on the fly. Yep. Adjustment. And that, and that was, you know, AAU, you got to make adjustments on the fly. And, I, you know, we, we all three talked about it together. You lose at 10 o'clock, can't be upset about it because you got a game at 1230. Yep. <laughs> you lose at 1230, you got a game at 3. Yeah. <laughs> and you lose at three. Yep, we got to regroup because pool play starts at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. So yeah. you you adjust. You got to make adjustments and that that. I mean, I don't I don't call timeouts. You know, Timmy, you remember you were with me more than Woody was. I would use my timeouts at the end of the half. Yep. To draw up, I would try to draw up a set then to score. Yep. Especially if we had the ball coming out, but that carried that over as a varsity coach. That. Why do I have to call a timeout to tell you we need to get a stop right here? Or, hey, we, we've not scored in six or seven trips. Why do I have to call a timeout to tell you we need to score? Yep. You should know those things already. I, I need my timeouts for something important, not things that you should already know because you played enough basketball. But it's those adjustments on the fly that you, you learn to make with that. Now, Woody, if you ever if you ever step into the college in and the the school coaching you're gonna it's gonna be such an easy transition for you because you've done the AAU for so long and you're not the stereotype we're just gonna roll the ball out and let them play you know what people and Timmy you know that's the Southern Illinois idea of AAU there's no there's no there's no structure to it it's just up and down let the kids play we're not gonna do whatever you want to do but not you know 
we know we know different. There are there are plenty of programs that do that way, but we know differently that your good programs don't win for very long like that. You have to have some type of structure and some type of some type of plan there. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we were talking about AAU. What about you know? Let's let's get on get on basketball in general. Timmy, your season's on hold. Probably going to be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, people in Illinois, I know. I I'm glad I'm not in a position where I'm a head coach because I, I don't have to really deal with it. But you know, it, it is what it is. There, uh, the NCAA has decided they're going to go with the tournament in one site yeah this year you guys think you like that idea I like the fact it's in Indianapolis because that's that's four and a half hours from here and that's a trip I'm used to making yeah uh, I mean I, I think you know I, I listened to Brian Mullins talk about it the other day and at first I was like logistically that sounds difficult um, but you know like if, if we're going to preach about uh, keeping the players safe um, and you know, doing everything we can for them, then it, then it makes sense for them to try to to do it the safest way possible. And you know, you, you look at the reasons. You know, you don't want them traveling the country. So, um, look, in my opinion, any basketball is better than no basketball. So, however you guys yeah. get the season in, you know, the NBC. I don't know if you saw their schedule. They're playing like sat like SIU, for instance, might go to Bradley, play them Saturday and Sunday for their their season series, and come back home to eliminate travel and hotel stays. Um, so, however you got to get it in, I know that, that if I was a kid playing college basketball right now, I'd be thankful that they're they're letting me lace it up. So, um, if whatever they think is the safest and the best way to do it, I'm I'm all for it. It stinks because you know it's not our norm. It's not our normal. It's not yeah. what we want to see. But at the same time, um, we got college basketball starting tomorrow, and I'm I'm pumped up. Yeah, so, um, I was about to say that I talked to Chris Lowry. I talked to Chris Lowry a couple of weeks ago, and I know K-State, they kick off tomorrow night. Yep. But I, I wish the IHSA would come up with some type of, somebody needs to come up with the plan where kids can play. Yeah. I mean, you got seniors who are, I think of um, a kid from Cobden that's a really, really good player, probably be the best player in Southern Illinois, and he's got some scholarship offers. He would get more offers if they're going to have a season. Oh, yeah he would probably get better offers. So it's, I couldn't have imagined um, as a senior in high school with not going into the season with no scholarship offers, with the threat of there not being a season. Even how that would have affected of, me. Outside of scholarships, Woody, how, what, what, would, what would your life have looked like if your senior year they told you you're probably not going to play basketball? Like what, what does your life look like your senior year? Woody there? <laughs> We lose him. He's still connected, Woody. Maybe he's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me text. Well, the thing, what I'm wondering is like, how do you keep morale? Yeah, no, that's you know, so. Where I was gonna go with that was just like, um, you know, so much of my life was um, built around playing sports so if you had told me that uh, especially basketball like if you had told me that um, that I wasn't going to get to get to play basketball I I'm, I can't confidently say that like academically I do as well I can't confidently say that um, I uh, end up that anything in my life ends up 
exactly the same because it would have changed so much of who I was who I was was built around sports so um and you know the reason that we talked about earlier the reason I stayed away from the things I stayed away from the reason that I you know kept to myself and kept my head down was because I was always working on sports it's what uh drove me to keep my grades up it's what drove me to to get my work done so that I could go practice it's what um it's it's what drove me to do anything that I did so um yeah I feel I feel for the seniors I mean, I look at, um, you know, the, the football team at Marion, they're, they're still doing workouts and I don't know what extent, but like, how do you keep these guys morale up and they didn't have their season in the fall and it's been pushed back now to late spring, early spring or late winter. How do you keep, you know, the morale up? these workouts without knowing if you're going to play or not that's that's one of the things i'm glad i really don't have to deal with because he said it's such an important part of the psyche of everything that uh, i'm curious as you know how discipline and behavior are yeah without, it's a good know, question with, with, if the sports are going to be gone you know you got some kids that that that's the carrot to keep them from being chronic behavior problems and chronic academic problems because they got to keep their grades up to participate yeah no doubt like i said i never had like a you know like behavior was never my problem but like academics like academics did not come super easy to me especially if a couple subjects yeah woody you're back uh but uh like academics didn't come super easy to me um so i had to work to keep them up and the, the the goal was to keep them up because i wanted to play my sports I wanted to make sure that I was able to play my- now for me standards were higher than just being eligible like I, I wasn't going right. to be able to have you know D's and C's and be able to play so I had to keep them up to like my my family standards like I wasn't going to be able to be failing classes and play but that's what drove them to stay up so without that I don't know what happens Woody before you left I was I was asking you like if you went into your senior year like these guys are thinking there might not be a basketball if, season like what is if you what think is of everything that like? I did What's in high school like? FBLA, Maniacs, just being at everybody else's games, it all, it all still centered around me playing basketball. I don't, I, and that's a weird way to explain. Oh, I don't even know if I would have enjoyed doing anything else. I heard you talking about academics. Like I was the same way. I had to maintain eligibility to play, but it wasn't just about C's or D's. Like I was expected to go to college for my academics, and basketball was going to help. You know, so uh, the expectations would have been the same, but I, I mean, we we enjoyed being Marion Wildcat basketball players. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah, you take that away. I mean, that I mean, just just everything in general. Yeah, you're taking away part of your identity. You know, if you're if you're an athlete and now that sport has been taken away, yeah, you're still an athlete, but you're not out there competing. You're not out there. That, that camaraderie where you're working with your teammates and especially if you've been with the same group of guys for a while mm-hmm. that that goal that you've worked for forever it's kind of yeah. been like well the Goreville team last year and I didn't I never did see them play but I heard from several people that they probably would have won state yeah it's heartbreaking and I felt you know I, I it's kind of I felt bad for them because you know that's a once in a lifetime. That's a right. that that could be a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, 
you know, you, 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 you only have a lot of coaches only going to have a team good enough to win state once in their career. And to be told we're not even going to play, you don't get a chance to decide it on the court. That's tough. You know, it's being decided for you. That, you know, that, that's, that's tough, a tough blow to deal with. I, you know, I'm glad that I, I, I give a shout out to Coach Tripp. I have to give props to him because I don't know how I would have been able to handle that situation tactfully without making my <laughs> feelings known to someone and it probably wouldn't have ended up well but you know you're, you're you're taking things away from kids and you know athletics is a privilege not a right but still it's a right. privilege that they, right. they put a lot of time in right and, I, and I'm not even I'm saying that for me it's more from a, a fan standpoint which if they play the games and a lot of fans in that's fine but figure out something where these kids can participate because it's it it it, it would it could have a i mean just from from injuries you know just think about you guys played with guys who got hurt in various sports and couldn't finish their careers on the court or on the field or whatever how that's mm-hmm. a that that's a blow to their psyche yep that's what's going to happen with these kids you're not giving them right. a chance to end it properly yeah so there's need to, i mean you need to come up with something about it you know, um, I, I always and and not to get you know not to get into the medical side or anything like that, but just you, I see the effects that it's having on um, on some of the, the people I coach with. I see the effects it's having on some of the players, um, and I just I think at some point you know you got to weigh like you're talking about Griff, how much this is hurting. Not just like you know, hey, I might not get a scholarship now, or like uh, I I want to play basketball. Of course they do, but like how much it's hurting them like emotionally because like i said if if it was me like i would have been torn yeah. up i would not have been okay i would not have been okay i've like, been a bad I, I know i would have been know. a basket case me too. I, cry, I would literally have cried every night this oh, year yeah. if i was a senior thinking my basketball season was gonna happen i would have been a, a mess i would i guarantee i would have missed days of school i would have been a mess i i know i would have i can i i can feel how I would have felt. It's, it's kind of like that last game when you lose your last game as a senior, except you never even get to have that. Ooh. It's like, holy yeah, crap. You never my, get that. My last and that's game the, and as a junior was the last time I got to play basketball. That's it. I didn't even get like and that, that and, moment. And that's the, that's the big thing to me. You don't get that right. last moment. Like those kids from Goreville, their last moment together was being told we're not having the state tournament, not in the locker room at the state tournament after a win or a loss. Their last moment was being told, we're not going to go. We can't go. Closure. So you're taking that away. And that's such a big bonding moment, too. Whether it's a win or loss, that's a big bonding moment because you look around and that's the last time you're going right. to be with those guys in that situation, in that environment. It's, it's, it's tough for yeah. the community, too. The same thing happened in Kankakee. They had a 3A team that was in the sectional finals against Morgan Park. And they had knocked off... Um, I forget who it is right now. Oh, uh, uh, I can't even remember. I'm not even going to try to get it wrong. But they were a state-ranked team. And the community felt like they were going to Peoria. So they, and that's even worse than going. I mean, I won't say it's even worse than going because, you know, you're going and then it gets shut down. But to not have that chance to see if you can knock off one of the top teams in the state with the top player in the state, you know. And those guys were seniors who had played for us. They went to the NY to LA and they won and everything was built for that moment. You know, we the program was started for that moment for a lot of those guys. And then yep. and again and, and, and probably like, go ahead. No, go I was ahead, just, Woody. 
probably the worst thing too is the uncertainty. Like they they made the decision last week right. to postpone it. They're going to revisit it next week. Come out and just make a right. make a firm decision. Yes, we're going to have a season if everything goes according to plan, or right. no, we're not. So the coaches can tell the kids something. Well, you know, you're, so I mean, you, you know, know, you know, Jake over in in Harrisburg. I love the way he tweets because he's just like, you know, if you cancel it, cancel it, because at least I can go and tell my kids, like, yeah. it's canceled. You're gonna have to deal with it, and we can deal with adversity, right. whatever. But like this, like leaving kids and coaches just kind of hanging right. out in limbo is just it's it's harder than anything. Like they're just kids are just holding on to hope every time IHSA has a meeting to hear that oh it's not going to happen or oh we approve basketball and then you hear oh wait hold on all the schools are talking to their legal teams and their attorneys about whether or not they should play so we're definitely not going to play under those circumstances. So you're just like sending kids on this emotional roller coaster that's unnecessary. Like give us some guidelines. If we hit these guidelines, we get to play by this date. And if we don't, then we don't. So that when kids see yeah. numbers and they see what's happening, they can say, okay, we're not playing basketball. I'm going to have to find a way to deal with that. Uh, and I think you guys, it's hard. But you guys, you guys know I'm not a big fan of the IHSA and their decision-making <laughs> anyway. But this is what happens when you have people who, are not athlete, who don't have athletic backgrounds or vast athletic backgrounds or, or are athletic-minded making decisions for right. people who are yep this is a back and forth it's not like uh yeah we're gonna buy a new car uh no i think we'll wait yeah i like that one well no i'm gonna wait till we find one with more features no you're not doing that this is you know you're talking about a lot of you know things that have a lot of impact right. on people yeah and you got you got kids that if they don't have a season they might want to go get a job they might want to you know take college classes or something, do something with that additional time that they don't know that they can even do. Right. Because you, you, you're, you keep putting them off. You keep putting them on hold. You keep putting them off. You keep putting them off. And it's, I, I'm glad I'm not a head coach because I, I yeah, they would have, they would have <laughs> sanctioned me, censored me, exiled me or something because they, they would have got a lot back. of, <laughs> I sent them a couple, them a couple of, of, of sternly worded emails as it was when I was a head coach. So yeah, they would have they would have got several more that probably would have been more than sternly worded. Yeah, and I don't envy, know I don't felt. envy anybody having to make these decisions. But like you said, it just seems like that the, the kids are the ones that are right. being like like dragged along, dragged through the mud. And they're the ones who are not being thought about. The IHSA can say all they want to that they're for the kids. They care nothing about the kids. If they if they saw if they can see a place where they can make a buck, right, there'll be a season. Yep. Trust me. Trust me. If they if they saw they could make a dollar from this, there would be a season. That's why it's in limbo. They're trying to figure out how they can and I think that's what it boils down to. I believe that's what it boils down to. They don't see where they can make any money right now. Yeah. And I so saw they're not I saw, they're, uh, I saw Ryan Gadiski from the high school the other day. I listened to a podcast he does uh, with Marion kind of say, you know, like they're talking about playing it in spring. It's just an impossibility because you think about Marion. We've already talked about this. There's no way Marion can field a football, baseball, basketball, and soccer team at the same time. They cannot do it. So, no, no no way. And And that goes back to people who have no real background in athletics making an athletic decision. That's what that boils down. Because if 
because because we know that we know that's not possible you can't do it anywhere you can't you can't do it at carrier mills and try to have a baseball and basketball season going on at the same time it's not you, you how are you going to do that exactly. and keep kids safe you know they they're going to be playing every day every day a week traveling you know so it's not possible that's when you have people who don't have any clue about athletics making athletic decisions it's like people who don't have kids writing books on parenting <laughs> and that's the only thing to say yeah you know let me stop bashing them because uh, somebody may trick me into being a head coach again and i'll get less <laughs> calls than i already did um, who's the goat Woody. who is the goat since I was asked first. Yeah, can you what hear you me? There? Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I, I'm, I'm all Jordan, too. Okay. But Thank I you. will say, I, well, I got to say, though, Woody, Woody, and I, Woody, and I have, Woody and I have this conversation a lot. I, I think, okay, let me specify, I think Michael Jordan has the greatest, had the greatest career of all time. I don't think he's the most talented basketball player of all time. And I, I think LeBron is. But if you're asking me who the goat is, who's the greatest of all time, it's uh, it's it's Jordan for me. But that's different than you know, who's the greatest of all time quarterback? Like it's Tom Brady to me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was like physically the greatest. So like when people have this like one on one conversation, I'm like one on one, I pick LeBron. But goat, I gotta take I gotta take Jordan. Yeah, we just lost Woody again. I know. I, I don't. Know. Where'd he go? I don't know. There He's he back. Um, I yeah, uh, I I got to go hands down with Jordan. I laugh at the conversations with people. And you guys know basketball. I laugh at people who they look they they all they know about Jordan is the Last Dance, and they laugh about him being guarded by Craig Elo and dance. Jeff Hornacek, and there were no athletes. In the there there were no there were no athletes in the NBA back then and this stuff like that. The, the worst athlete in the NBA is a better athlete than ninety five percent of the people in the, in the country. Yeah, and I don't think people understand that. If you're there are no there are no bad athletes in the NFL or the NBA. <laughs> it's <Right>. impossible. You can't <laughs> be a poor athlete and play. It's just not possible. The, the guy sitting on the bench for the worst team in the NBA, the 12th guy on the Knicks is still a better athlete right. than just about everybody else who's not in the NBA. Yep. There's a reason he's in the NBA and there's guys that aren't because yep. he's better than everybody else. And is uh, like the, that 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 history or not knowing this you see a few clips. You know, well, if LeBron played against Craig Elo, well, you can't have Craig Elo's not going to guard LeBron first of all. But just the the arguments from people who have no clue about basketball, but all they can do is regurgitate stats and Google stuff and copy and paste that. Like, don't even don't bother talking to me because you don't know a thing. Um, Here's and, my, favorite, you know, number- my favorite NBA stereotype is the the no defense. And I always tell people when they say the NBA teams don't play defense, I'm like, have you watched the All Star game? Because yeah. if teams didn't play defense, the right. All-Star game would be happening every night in the NBA. Like, do you see what these yeah. people are doing? Ke- Kevin Durant is making me? a shot over three people in his face. Like, <laughs> that's that's, a, that's what it is, right? <laughs> you, you, that's 
they're playing defense. Yeah. You literally cannot guard these people. Like they're unguardable. Those guys, they don't miss. I remember Chris Carr was at a after he had um, been with the Timberwolves. He was at SIU camp and just watching him shoot around. And he's going back and forth inside the arc and then outside the arc. He didn't miss. Right. And he wasn't known for being a great shooter in the NBA, but he didn't miss. Uh, Woody, when we went to Chicago, and yep. Ben Gordon, that little thing ben Gordon was too, shooting on that goal. Swish it. At all. Yeah, them guys don't miss, and people don't. Oh, they don't play any defense. Yeah, they do. Because those guys don't miss when they're wide open. I mean, when we went could you to, imagine uh, if... When we went to uh, Memphis with our high school team, that was the first time I'd ever been to an NBA game. We got there. We played on the court. And then we got to watch the game. So we were in the arena, obviously, way before anybody. And so we got to watch the guys come out and warm up. Mm-hmm. And Mike Miller was on the Grizzlies at the time. And I watched him come out and legitimately hit 53s in a row from corner, wing, top, corner, uh, wing, corner. 50 in a row. Just knocked them down. Walked out of the tunnel. This was like the beginning of his warm up. Knocked every single one down. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Like, I was like, wait a minute. That he just went 50 for 50. Griff, I do want to say. Did not miss one shot. I'm glad. And, and then Shaq came out. Shaq came out and was, was hitting jump shots. And I was like, wait a minute. Shaq doesn't even shoot. He's Shaq, Shaq is taking elbow jumpers, knocking him down. I'm like, wait a minute. And he's just knocking him down like it's nothing. I do want to bring to the he attention. Doesn't even, he doesn't even shoot Whenever you were in fifth grade with the Celtics, I watched him hit 10 threes in a row, Griff, from the top of the key as a fifth grader. Timmy. So don't let him be biased. I, I'll never forget that halftime. You remember it? <laughs> just, just get the ball back to him. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yes, that was yes, when I, I got labeled. That was when I got labeled shooter. I can remember him. Oh, showing up some guys in practice a few times, shooting three pointers against us. This uh, this guy on the scout team, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> But the people don't they don't understand just how right they're just looking for a reason to hate they have right. no clue how good these guys are because if you've seen pros I, well this was way before you guys this time uh, my mm-hmm. second year at SIU we played Bradley oh man on senior night when Hersey Hawkins was there and Steve Middleton was our best player and Steve scored 42 or 43 <laughs> points and I think he took over 30 shots Percy Hawkins scored 48 and he took 23 shots and he never broke a sweat. He was like 16 for 23, made a bunch of free throws and he ran nonstop. They ran like he had, they had (laughs) a double pick on one block. (laughs) He ran a figure eight the entire time and he never got tired. He never broke a sweat, never changed facial expressions. And we, you know, the guys at the end of the bench, we started calling them the silencer because it was a pretty big crowd at that time we were still terrible so there's probably about 6,000 people there and we come down and score and the crowd's going crazy and they come down they run that figure eight and the crowd's still ha ah, ah. ha Percy gets it hits a three and it just got quiet <laughs> we come down score the crowd goes crazy Percy comes down scores crowd goes quiet and we just started calling the silencer because every time he got the ball everybody just got quiet because it's like he was going to score 
And that, that there was a reason why he ended up being an NBA All-Star. That dude didn't miss shots. Yeah. That was just a different, different level. We played against um yeah. Yeah. Tony Bennett, that's the head coach of Virginia right now. Played against them twice when he's at Wisconsin Green Bay. The first time we played him was the year we got snubbed for the NCAA tournament. And we had a great game plan. We had a great week of practice going into that game. And something just happened where we didn't have it. That dude didn't miss, and he ran nonstop. They like had triangle picks set for him, and he <laughs> ran nonstop, like with a smile on his face, just nailing shots. We beat him the next year in a tournament at DePaul, but when he got drafted, you know, now I realize, look back, and I realize it. He got drafted. He was good, but like right. the dude had a different talent than everybody else. And you know, you you take a guy like Jimmer for debt who was a great college player and he's not in the NBA right now, there's something missing in his game that reason he's not in the NBA. You know, it's not a lack of talent. Right. There's something else missing why he can't catch on an NBA. And you look at like all American players that from big time schools, everybody just that, you know, it, it's not always that talent that gets you there. And then people don't, they don't understand how good, how great those guys are. Yeah. I mean, you guys saw Troy at, at uh, SIU. Gee whiz, I don't know if you guys no. ever saw him in pickup no. games. No, I just got to see him. Got to oh, see him play, man. man. Fun to watch. I would, I'm glad I never had, I'm glad I never stepped on the floor with him. I saw because Justin he Dittman embarrassed did that a people. couple of times to people. And it made it Justin look Dittman easy. was my Southern Illinois favorite coming out. Went to Washington and everything. He was the same way. Troy said, heard him say one time, he said, you know, people say their range when they oh, get God. in the gym. He said, my range is when the bus stops. <laughs> he was not off the bus when it stopped. <laughs> that was his <laughs> So another question. Should we college athletes get paid? Too. Go ahead, Timmy. Um, like, uh, man, this is a, this is a heavy one. Um, sure. not, not enough, not enough to be rich. I'm not talking about multi thousand dollar deals. I'm like, should they get some type of stipend to help them with the expenses of being a college student? No, and let, and let me, let me pitch this. Let me pitch this first. People say, well, they get a free, they get a free education. Isn't that enough? That's all that's covered is the education. And yeah, that's a lot. But all the incidentals aren't there. There's nothing else there. That they they mm-hmm. the cost of education is all that's covered. I need one clarification here. I had a friend, I had a, a buddy of mine I worked with at the rec center who was a football player who told me that he he did get a stipend and it was related to football for expenses such as food and stuff. Now I don't know if that's a typical thing. If he lived off campus, if you live off campus, yeah, you get a uh, we call it a rent it. check. Okay. All yeah. right. So, you get the you pay your the pay your rent and your utilities. You get they because we when I I lived off campus my last year and I don't know if they changed the formula, but what they how they did it with us, they took the cost of housing and divided it by like ten or twelve or however many months, and that was the amount we got per month for living off campus. Yeah, I think um, no, my my only my I I, I am for it. If you can, you'd have to present to me the information where the basketball player who brings in money gets the same amount of money as um, 
the the swimmer or whatever because I think oh yeah I think it should be I think it should be the same across the board now and I, I don't think, think that I also think though that if you are if you're Zion Williamson at Duke right. you should be able to make money off your likeness with no problem like that should, that should not yeah. be a thing for same. sure and then uh, with the other stuff I just want to I just want to make sure that you know that the the tenth guy on the bench that stipend that he gets. Is the same mm-hmm. as the you know the the tennis. Yeah, I think I think for all NCA sports, it should be the same. You know, if it's if it's two hundred dollars a month, every NCA athlete, every school that it peaks, that's eligible for an NCA championship right. in their sport should get the same amount, whether it's a revenue sport or non-revenue sport. The NCA getting that I think sixteen billion dollars was their the the rights to televise the tournament. Yeah. So it's not like they're hurting. I mean. If, if they were hurting for money, they would have figured out how to have the tournament last year. Yeah. If and they were strapped for money. It can't, it can't come from the individual schools because right. we know no. that most of them operate at a deficit. So, uh, well, you guys, you guys, do you guys know how the, how the, the payouts go for the NCAA tournament while there was yeah. always, Timmy, you probably do. What do you make? You may also, but Timmy, you probably do because you're a big SIU fan. How is always. SIU had to win a couple right. of games in the tournament yep. to make a profit from the tournament. Yeah. Oh yeah. That you know that the you this divided first amongst all your conference teams. Yeah. And then you divide your payout to all the NCAA teams on your campus. Mm-hmm. That first play. Then after I think after you win a game or two, then that money stays with the basketball program or you know, it saves a basketball. So you, you have to win, a, you have to win some games, a couple of games before the basketball program would benefit from an appearance. Just one, you know, just making it, you weren't going to get very much from it, very much out of it. Right. So that, you know, that, that's a misconception. And even this whole with the, you know, the likeness thing and people, you know, there's a misconception that now, okay, the players are going to get paid. No, the players aren't getting paid. It's just the guys that are, are good enough. Like, you know, if if Timmy, if Timmy is, a, you know, if Timmy's jersey is on sale at the, you know, in, at JCPenney and in the bookstore or whatever, Timmy can get paid off that number. Yeah, for sure. If my number, if, if my jersey ain't getting, if my jersey ain't for sale, Griff ain't getting nothing. Yeah. So it's just the stars who are getting the likeness. So that doesn't, that's not going to help your lacrosse players and your gymnasts and, your your tennis players. That's just going to help your. It is really not going to help baseball. It's going to help your football players and your basketball players. Exactly. And it's going to help your male basketball players, not the women basketball players. Yep. So that's that's a the that was a cop out on the NCAA's part because it's not helping anybody across the board. But I, I look at it. My thing is my argument is this. Uh Say you're Woody, you're you're at school in North Dakota, and something happens at home, and you got to right. get home, and your family doesn't have the money for yeah. you to get a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The university can't do it because it's a violation. Yeah, and that's garbage. The the athletic the, the basketball program can't, can't do, do it, it just because it's a coach. violation. Coach can't do it. If you're on scholarship, they can't. They can't do anything to help you. Now, if I'm a walk-on, they can do it for me because I'm not on scholarship. And I think that's the part where they're missing out on. I, you know, 
my thing is that they shouldn't get paid to get rich. They should be paid. They should get paid exactly. so they can kind of have a normal college experience right. because you can't get, you can't work, you can't have a job on scholarship. Right. Yep. You know, you can't, you, you, you can't work. So, you know, they're, they're missing out on the, the normal college experience because, right. you know, the money but people say oh college is the best four years of your life college was five of the most broke years of my life <laughs> so i'm like you say it was four of the best year of your life you must right. have had some money because i remember being broke all the time and you know so i i think I, they're making enough money where they could support the non-revenue sports yeah you know, as long, they, as, as, long bold, as they could do that i'm completely good with it because that's the only thing i worry about is like right. have, being a college soccer player i just think about um yeah think about how you, I mean, we, we would not, nobody came, but nobody cared about those at all. I mean, so, uh, and I've been to like college soccer games before where it's like, dang, there's like 45 people here. So I know that this sport is losing money. So as long as like athletes like that are able to, you know, to get their, to get their little stipend or whatever it is, like cost of living expenses, uh, I'm completely good with it. I used to be completely against it, but I, uh, have changed my mind. Here's what I, years. I, I was just going to say, yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Yeah. Like, my thing was just always, because you hear the people all talk about how it's for the free education. You know, it's your, you know, your scholarship is your, your payment. You, you should be paid based on what it is that you're doing. You got the scholarship for what you did to get to college. That was always my thing. Whether it's an academic or an athletic scholarship, it was for your high school performance. That's how you got that. You know, now that they're here for another four years, mm-hmm. you know, that was my old thing with it. But other than that, I agree with everything you guys are saying. They, you know, they. Here's a, here's a, another example. My mm-hmm. sister got an academic scholarship. So after her cost of tuition, books and everything was covered, right. what was left, she got that money right. back. Yeah. Every semester she was in school. I never saw any money back. You know, everything that they everything was covered, so there was no well. Here's what's left. Here's seven hundred fifty dollars is left over. That goes to you. That doesn't happen, and, I, and that's that's one of the things. Like, yeah, it's a free education. That's nothing to you know turn your nose up at or whatever. But there's different rules on that scholarship where the academic scholarship, yeah, you know, the same the same amount of work is involved. Yeah. But you're going to see some money back from that. Yeah. You know, and it's not, you know, then, well, then there's the thing about, well, the, the cheating and all that. You're not going to stop the, the cheating. The big, the, the schools that have are always going to be able to do more. That's just how, that's, that's life. Right. You're not going to stop that. You don't want to get to a point where, um, that's the, the, you don't want to open Pandora's box because I'm such a, you know, college basketball purist and I love mid-majors. I, I worry a lot about like you open Pandora's box and eventually we get to a point where you're allowed to entice people to come with money. And then it's like, well, now it's professional basketball and we have 30 programs that, that matter and the rest don't. Because part of like the beauty of college basketball is the, you know, the tournament and the way, you know, Cinderella, like that's, everybody's drawn to that. So yeah, I just think you gotta be careful too, not to, not to mess with that. Cause I, you don't ever want to, uh, like I said, if you're in, if you're able to ever entice people to go to a school with money because someone can afford more money, I think you ruin the what makes what makes college basketball specifically college basketball, but what makes that so great? 
Well, we already know that goes on anyway. So For even sure. if you yeah, gave them sure. stipends, it's not going to change anything. But that that brings up something else I want to ask. What about putting a cap on the number of teams eligible for the tournament from your your Power Five conferences to open the doors up for more mid majors and and to give more parity to the tournament? That I think they they should have to be over five hundred in their league. Like I've always said. Uh, definitely. Like that, and I think eight and ten in the ACC. Like I'm sorry, you maybe you are better than Illinois State, who's seventeen and one in the ACC. But come on, like you're eight and ten in the ACC. That's no, that's you not shouldn't go. And I, and I also think with the with the I think they should make this an exception with the with the mid majors. And this is just because it's a sore spot with me. If you win your regular season championship, you should get the automatic bid. Yep, I because agree. it's harder. It's harder to be good over two months than it is for seventy-two hours. But you know why that's never going to go away? Because those conference tournaments, they if they don't have well, you meetings, can still they don't make that money. Well, well, here, but here's how you here's how you solve that. You don't have a five hundred record, and you're in the ACC, Big Ten, SEC, Big Twelve, Pac Ten, Big East. You don't get in, so that's going to open up a no. bunch of bids. You're, you're not having you're not having 11 teams from the ACC in the tournament now now you may have seven so that's four more bids so now SIU goes 17 and one in the valley and they get upset in the conference tournament by Northern Iowa so SIU's already got the automatic bid the other teams are playing to get a bid yeah. So now, now you've made that a two-bid conference. You've opened up the door for these smaller conferences to be multi-bid conferences, which help those conferences, which aid, which helps revenue, which helps recruiting. It helps it helps the college game all around because that's that's going to filter down some of these guys who are going to the big schools all the time because now they got a shot at going to NCAA tournament by staying close to home. Yeah, I think they got a shot at going to NCAA tournament but not going to the traditional powers. What, what drives me crazy is, you know, you when you get down to the resumes and you get, um, you know, you like, oh, uh, Florida State is four and eight against the top 25 and Northern Iowa is uh, two and three. You're going to have to explain to me how four and eight is somehow better than two and three. Like <laughs> that I, I can't that math doesn't make sense to me, but still, that's always how it works out. Right. Because it's like they have four top top 25 wins well they played 12 games against them so and you're and you're looking at availability too like we know nobody was coming to SIU ever and playing during that during the during their run nobody was going to come here and play we couldn't we even when I was there we couldn't at once once we turned the corner we couldn't draw teams in and coach Aaron was not going to take a, a two for one yep and people gave him grief about it and he's like if we're good enough to go to their place twice, then they're, we're good enough for them to come to my place twice. Yep, and I agree with it. And he stood he stood his ground on that, and that hurts that hurts scheduling because you're not going to want to go to certain places. When um, my guy uh, Scott was at Evansville, and Robert Stadium was one of the toughest places to play, they had a hard time getting people, you know, big time schools to come in there and play them because they knew it was the home court advantage and everything. So it just comes down to the. You know, we'll lose to to these the schools in our conference. Why? Why? Why can't uh, 
a lower level SEC team play uh, MVC team every year home and home. Exactly. It would help them more. It would help them more than losing to Kansas, Arizona, Gonzaga, whoever. You know, just to have it on their on their conference on their resume. But I, I would like to see I would like to see a lot of changes made in NCAA tournament just for the parity. Yep. You know, I don't I don't want to there's like you said, there's no reason for a team who's six and fourteen to get into the tournament. Exactly. Because they beat a couple of because they had a couple of they had a couple of good wins and you just slap a team in the face, especially not even your mid majors, but from your smaller conferences like um you know, Vermont. I think of the kids from Evansville, the Duncan brothers that played at Vermont. That one year they, they lost one game regular season and got beat in the conference championship and had to go to the NIT. Yep. You know, like that's that's not fair to you know that's not fair to those guys that you get to look in these teams just because they have a name, they get to go to the tournament with a subpar record. Yep. And it would open it would, I, I think it would increase fan interest. But let's face it, the NCAA is about money. Right. And they sell more merchandise, more merchandising and, and tickets and everything else. And you know, fans are gonna watch the NCAA tournament regardless who, who's playing in it. But it's about the money for them, and they're going to get more money from the Blue Bloods being there than they are Indiana State. Yep. And that's just that's just how that's unfortunately that's how it goes. And until they get people on there to you know, Jay Billis is a great advocate for the athletes and the smaller schools. They need until they have more people like him speaking up. It's always going to be the same thing. Yep. No doubt. Well, my guys, I'm not going to keep you any longer. We've talked on here a long time. I've enjoyed it. It's the first time the three of us have talked, talked in a long time. I've enjoyed it. want to say I'm proud of you guys. You know, Timmy, you talked about, you know, the things I would say in practice. You guys have definitely become great fathers, great family men. Love seeing you post pictures of your your kids on Facebook. Timmy, yours look just like you, poor kids. <laughs> they look yeah, just right. like you. Woody, you're 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 going to feel my pain in a few years with your daughters. You're going you're going to be going through some things, and you're going to deserve it. But I, I appreciate you guys' time, and going to have you guys on again sometime so we can we can chop it up about about the game we love some more. Yeah, we appreciate it, Griff. I had a, a great time talking about this. It's been good to talk to both of you. So thanks for having us on. It's good fun.